Are you comfortable? Yeah. No, this, this is great. Work? Yeah. No, this this is very nice. I feel like uh, I'm on a talk show, like <laughs> like Oprah. Yes. <laughs> yes, you be With Oprah. Your coffee. And, yes. And who could I be? I'm trying to think of. You can uh, be Gail. Oh, her yes, best her friend. best friend. Yes. You know, there's something there, and I'll never know. With her and Graham Stedman. And I, I can't figure it out, but someday I will. Oh, do you think? Wait, wait. Are you like alluding to? Are they lovers? I, I, not necessarily in the sexual sense, but maybe in the emotional sense. Oh. They seem so. Because um, oftentimes when she gives tributes and stuff. It's Gail before Stedman, and it's like, hmm, you've been with this man for like a hundred years, right. and yet you acknowledged Gail. And maybe because they work together, I, I don't know. But it is—it's a weird thing. And the woman I was—I met with yesterday, we were talking about like relationships and how her therapist told her her husband can't be her everything, mm -hmm. and that's an important point. So maybe that, like, Gail is, you it, know, and her it should be saying this in front of Marshall. <laughs> But for the most part, Ben cannot be your everything. That's true. I married an introvert, and he's just—he's just not deep. I mean, I don't know what else to say. It's just—I and I've just kind of given up with respect to the—I don't know if it's the depth of the relationship or what. But he's just, really, yeah. And and I guess it's just acceptance that at some point, um, and in fairness, women are notorious for this. I'm going to change him once we get married. Wait, but how long have you been married? <laughs> 13 years. Now oh it's concession my at my yeah, part. exactly. <laughs> All right, Lynn. Well, thank okay. you for being here. My pleasure. And you are a financial advisor. Yes, I've been an advisor for about 20 plus years with um, a firm based in Naperville. And this that's is what your, I say. This is your second career. <laughs> yes, yes. For 20 plus years. Yeah. I'm an old woman. What can I say? <laughs> but do you, and you did corporate HR before, right? Right, right. My last stint, um, I was um, the VP of HR for Wilson Sporting Goods here in Chicago. And then I had a brief opportunity in D.C. It was a IPO potential that didn't quite come to fruition. But at that point, I made the decision that I really wanted to be my own boss. Yeah. And, um, so I um, joined this firm. In fact, one of my closest friends, she was my advisor, and she's still there after all these years. Really? Yeah, so I at least have somebody to commiserate with, yeah. too. So, but no, for me, it was all good. I, I think just because of my personality and stuff, I'm probably better off with a one-man band yeah. <laughs> versus uh, um, corporate politics and all yeah. that other stuff. I think so, too. So do you... Do you enjoy being your own boss and all the responsibility now? Or was there nice, like, because I feel like when you work for corporate America, you can kind of deflect responsibility a little you bit. You know, you're right. Um, and, and particularly in the startup of the business, I mean, so many costs that you incur that you just don't think about in corporate life, whether it's needing a new laptop or right. signage or something, you're thinking, oh, oh, I have to pay for this. Yes. And so it, it's, it is different. But I think once you're up and running, um, I, I, I think for a lot of people, it'd be very hard to turn back. So, oh yeah, I think so. Even after like, I've been doing this eight months, but even 
still like after the first month or two I mean you're not making the money that you were before in the beginning but you have all this flexibility and freedom and you're gonna find that in life there's yeah. a direct <laughs> inverse relationship between um, money and time and at Always. different points in your life you have more time other points you have more money but someone like you I admire somebody that I did it when I was in my late 30s you're so much younger that the thought of having that opportunity at this point in your life, I mean, and even if you'd have to do it a couple of times, to right. kind of, you can to afford get it right. to, yeah, mm-hmm. and that's just wonderful. I wish I had had, I wish I'd had the courage, but I didn't. I, you don't think you did? You no, know, I think because of my humble beginnings, I think I was so fearful of being poor oh, once right. again that yeah. I didn't, I, I, I just, and, and actually I didn't make the career change until I knew I was set financially so that I wasn't doing this for the money. I was doing it, just what you said, for the flexibility, the freedom, and things like that. Did you give yourself a break in between your when you retired from HR into financial, or did it overlap? Uh, That was a big mistake. What I did (laughs) is um, the company I was working for in D.C., I had only been there two years, and I felt a bit bad about leaving because they paid for my relocation. Mm -hmm. Long story short, I made a commitment to them that I would come back every weekend for like three months. So here I am in this startup. Oh my gosh. And every Friday night I flew out to DC, I worked for two days and I flew back. Wow. So no, I, I didn't take a break. Um, and in hindsight, I'm not sure that was the um, yeah smartest thing to do, but you know. You can burn out that way. Oh, I did? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's hard. It is. It's hard so and travel. and right? yeah, Yeah, so, but, you know, it, it was behind me. I, I think I, I think it's really been helpful that I never burned any bridges from corporate life, and that's where I went back to with right. um, trying to ramp up the practice that yeah. you have those relationships. And you, you at this tender age, seem so attuned to the importance of networking, reaching out, mm-hmm. meeting people, never knowing where this might lead, but yeah. you're willing to pursue it. That's tremendous. I think I've always been that way a little bit, like a people person. Just an extrovert. Yeah, yeah I'm just yeah. an extrovert. It comes naturally to me. And I'm like, my brother is not at all. And so going to social settings, like even to a family party with my brother is torturous for me <laughs> because he will like, sit down and take a nap yeah. in the middle of the party yeah. like what are you doing yeah. the family's here you haven't seen them in forever and so and my mom is the same way well you know yeah we're very yeah. similar yeah. so yeah yeah is, it, do, is that natural for you well we talked about networking networking is hard and mm-hmm. I prefer to do one-on-one networking yep. yeah yeah no I'm not big at, I'm not big in a big group I I, I think it winds up being very superficial I'd much rather have a one-on-one and have a lunch or a wine or right. something and then let it go at that yeah. so you make me laugh about your brother because that's something my nephew would do or play video games the entire yeah. time while the whole party's going on it's like do you think you might want to interact a little bit but exactly apparently not and he I think he's getting better as he gets older that's but like what it is. if he's tired there's mm-hmm. no there's just no helping it no and you know I think that's a fundamental difference between men and women. I would feel too guilty or too yeah. bad 
to sleep during somebody right. else's party. I would feel like if I made a social commitment, I need to be social. Where <laughs> why that, would you go? Yeah, that's why I always tell my husband my next life I'm coming back as a man because it just seems like it's going to be a whole lot easier. <laughs> but that's to me like the same thing. If you've made a social commitment, be social. Otherwise, bow out and stay home. Right. Nope. Or just go for an hour and mm-hmm. then leave. You mm-hmm. don't and have stay to awake. Stay. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Make the most of that one hour. So do you think as the youngest of 12 that you got some good social skills? You have a tremendous memory. Man, I loved that podcast. I've thought wow. so much about it. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I think that um, being the youngest of 12 and having a very humble start, um, you, you, you definitely develop your, your survival skills. Mm-hmm. Um, I... Um, Stop me if I told you this, but we lived on a farm and it was harvest season. We had all these farm hands, and on a farm you have your big meal at lunch, not at dinner. Oh, okay. And I remember being like two or three years old, and I came up to the table and I saw all these big men, and they were all wearing bib overalls and stuff. And my first <laughs> thought was, how am I going to get in there to eat? I crawled under the table. I crawled up one man's lap, <laughs> one of the bib overalls. I sat on his lap, and he was like shocked and I thought I've got to do something to make him feel like he's not going to throw me off the lap (laughs) I started feeding him peas like I would eat some food and I would give him some food and that's how I got my lunch and my mother (laughs) told me afterwards she said after I saw that I knew you would always somehow manage it you'd be okay you'd be okay so wow yeah yeah so and I still can remember it yeah a powerful story because that translates so well I think when you start your own business you have to have thick skin and you have to be able to survive and figure it out and you've been on your own for you were on your own for a long time yeah yeah and it's funny you said about the thick skin I think that's something hard for people to deal with rejection not everyone's going to want to work with you right other people have other relationships um they feel more comfortable with someone else and that's very hard not to take it personally mm-hmm. when you think, don't you want to work with me? And yeah. that's, you know, and you have it too. But at some point, you kind of go through the laws of averages. Yeah. The more people you meet, right. the greater the probability. And if you lose a client, like I had one, and my brother said, would this be a big deal if you had more clients? Mm-hmm. No. No. It wouldn't. It's no. just because I'm starting out. So yeah. then you learn it's just a numbers game, kind of. It, Even though it's way more personal than that. The relationships are but as far as like the clients and the networking and yeah and you have to know when to say no to people too yeah because sometimes if you don't feel it's going to be a good fit it probably won't be a good fit exactly. and if it's not good at the beginning it's not going to get right. better right that <laughs> if if they're either very demanding or there's a lot of disconnects that's going to be the relationship for the entirety of it yes even yes. if it gets a little better i mean that's always going to yeah. be there and you don't want to look desperate. No. So why, if someone doesn't want to work with you, why would you? Why would you sweat it? No. Yeah. You know. And it's hard to let go, but sometimes that's all you can do. Yeah. And then try not to stew and chew over what right. could I have said? That's what the could hard I have done? part for it me. Is. Yeah. Yeah. That if I had done this or hadn't done that, and sometimes it's just, it is what it is. How do you shut that part of your brain off? You know. You just touched on it early on when you don't have that many clients. Mm-hmm. You really do chew and stew and think, oh my goodness. Right. But at this point in my life, I, I don't, you know, there's going to be something else. You know, 
And, and it's always been that way for my business. Everything that I thought were sure things or done deals, they fall off the table. Really? And the rest falls in my lap. It's a phone call. It's an email. Yeah, it's, that's true. I guess that's the way it is. That is interesting because even like with this office, so we're in the new, this is the first yeah. podcast oh, in the it, new oh, office. Oh, I feel honored. I feel honored. Yes. Well, cheers. We have coffee and tea today. <laughs> well, cheers to that. Cheers. I want to make sure I don't spill coffee on your lovely oh, sofa there. We can, yeah. You're the first guest to be here, the first mm. person to sit on this couch. Mm. My sister, well, I have two, a younger brother and two younger sisters, and my sister, um, the 18-year-old came here with me when I first, like, kind of got set up. So they decorated, Wickwood House did. Great All job. of this. Oh, that's... Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I wanted it to flow, so I'm and only here three days a week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but then it's, like, all my personal stuff kind of around. So my sister came, and she, <laughs> we did this, like, photo shoot, and she was staging it and positioning me all over the place. It was hilarious. Wonderful. But this fell in my lap, too. Like, I met with Shannon... I wanted to ask her to be on the podcast and then this was before they were still under construction here mm-hmm. like back in April I think and then she invited me here to see it after our meeting and then took me down here and was like well you know you were talking about the podcast and you don't have a home base and we have nobody to be in here nothing going on like we have enough storage space elsewhere would you be open to this being your office isn't that wonderful what amazing because I wasn't even at that point considering an office space mm-hmm. that wasn't even on my agenda mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. no I was impressed when you told me that you already had an office and I thought okay she's moving kind of yeah. fast, which is great though it's great <laughs> when mm-hmm. I go I go <laughs> that's pretty much it, it at this it point sounds like your sister might be wanting to follow in your footsteps she I think she's gonna go the she likes fashion a lot, which was interesting because mm-hmm. at her age, at 17, 18, I also wanted to do fashion merchandising. Mm-hmm. So the more like the trendier side, but she wants to do the business side of it. So like marketing, but fashion focused. And so, and that's what I wanted to do. And then I just went a different route. So yeah. I think we're very similar in a lot of ways. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah, well, I think for a lot of women at that point in their lives, there's a focus on fashion. Yeah, and then exactly. from there, you, you go on to other things, but who right. knows? Who knows? And she's worked in retail for a long time. So, yeah, for like a few years now. A long time. She's 18. I mean, it's not like been a decade. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's exciting to be able to show them, you know, because when I was in college, they would come down to my college apartments, and now we have this, so my sisters came here. And now they'll get to see my new place, which is exciting. Yeah, you might have a few more sleepovers than you were planning yeah. on with respect to um, layovers yes. from the night before or whatever. But that's I nice. Think so. It's a nice way to spend time with your siblings, too. It is. It's really fun. And I think it'll be good for everyone. They'll have a place to stay. I think that'll make my dad and stepmom feel better, too, if they want to come hang out at my house versus mm-hmm. wherever. Mm-hmm. They're pretty good. She's in school and working a lot. So Your brother's in the city, right? Yeah, he's in Pilsen. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do you get in there quite a bit or not too no. much? No. Okay. I go um, like every other week or so to the Chicago restaurant. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's pretty close to, it's like five minutes. It's in the South Loop, so it's not far from Pilsen. So okay. I'll try to meet with friends or do something in the city then, but that's it. Yeah. It's just, at this point, I don't really have a lot of free time, so... I know that. Working for a living, it's tough. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, working for a living. And then, well, between and bachelorette party planning and, um, 
then working at the restaurant on the weekends too. It's and now moving. I don't know what I'm like. I I don't know. You should be drinking this coffee. <laughs> Basically, they're supporting the treadmill, supporting everything at this point. But yeah, it's crazy right now. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't expect to move so soon. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, like, I was just checking. And then all of my, you know, my wants were met with this apartment. So I was like, oh, I better do it. And then they wouldn't start any later than the middle of August. But I'll be in Texas. So what's the point? I'm waiting. I may as well just start my lease now. And be, and yeah. get moved in. Well, we were talking before about how at different points in your life there are trade-offs between time, money, whatever. Well, at this point, I'm sure your energy level is like twice mine, so that's one of the good things doing as much as you're doing right now, that fortunately you have the uh, energy to do a lot of it. That's true, and I'm I'm running on a lot less sleep than I am used to, Mm -hmm. and I'm okay, so I'm still getting it all done. I got Mm -hmm. my workout in this morning. You're rather ambitious. Yeah. Well, that like keeps me, if it keeps me sane. If I don't do that, if I don't get my workout in, if like then I'm gonna go crazy. I wish I could get to that point. Yeah. That that my brother told me once that if he didn't work out, it was like not brushing his teeth. Yeah. And he felt so icky all mm-hmm. you know bad all day, and I kept thinking I really wish I. could. I don't think I'll ever get to that. In fact, there's a famous thing that Oprah says, the best thing about exercising is when it's done. And she's right, yeah. I mean, to me anyway, uh-huh. that and taking a shower. But I really envy people like you who realize that, one, the importance of it, and two, the self-discipline to do it. Yeah. How often do you work out? I try for four to five days a week. But it's not, it's not like an hour at a time every time, you know. So I have a lot of stuff at my house, so I can mm-hmm. just like go into the garage and work mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. And then with my brother being a personal trainer, like I will text him. The other day I literally said, I'm overwhelmed. I'm very anxious. Please. Mm-hmm. And I, have, I had a time frame, like 45 minutes to work out. Like give me a workout. And he did. And, I, and it was great. And I felt great. Did you go run or what? I did. Um, it was a high intensity one. So I went to the gym for that mm-hmm. one. And it was like five different moves just as fast as I could. Like very explosive movement. So meant to like get me into a flow state. So it was simple. It was probably only three moves actually. So simple. So I didn't really have to overthink it. Mm-hmm. And then, but like high intensity, fast pace and hard like physically and so then you just kind of get into this flow state where you can't think about anything else because you're focused on that and then it's almost like a meditative state yeah and then yeah and in 45 minutes I was exhausted and I felt great and he's good at that and so we've talked a lot about that with his because he does a lot of sandbag carrying like his Mm -hmm. training is really different yeah (laughs) so like (laughs) One of my workouts with him recently was to carry and then do squats with a 70-pound sandbag and then toss a 30-pound sandbag five times. And so when you're doing it, it seems so simple, right? Like two moves. But that is hard. It is very hard. And so, and then you're, it's so simple that you don't like, it's, you don't have to overthink it. So when you get into the gym, the gym and you're doing these gym programs that are like, okay, 20 lunges and 40 sit-ups, like so mm-hmm. many moves and mm-hmm. so many reps, then you're constantly having to like double check, am I doing the right number, keeping track of what you're doing. So if you simplify it, then you can just flow through it. 
But you can still get a good workout in. Better you than I at this point, but again, I, I really do wish I had your um, self-discipline, I guess is the word. So, so what do you do to de-stress? I drink wine. Yeah. I do do that. <laughs> um, what else do I like to do? I'm a great reader. Um, I'm going on a nice long vacation next Ooh. month, which will be great. So those tend to be, and I socialize a lot. I like That's to good. go out and, um, you know. I have a lot of friends, which is nice, yeah. and um, so I think those are the things, but I know that you need a physical release like that, yeah. and that's a great way of achieving two things. One, getting rid of the anxiety mm -hmm. or the negative thinking or whatever, and two, enriching your body and healthy, because right. I'm not sure how healthy going out for wine all the time is. Oh, well, is. I still drink wine all the time, too, so... <laughs> Maybe that's balance. I don't know. Yes. Um, the girl, the woman I spoke with on Monday, she was saying the way to achieve balance is to accept that you're never going to achieve balance. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. That, I've heard that, and I've also heard that at different points in your life, different things are going to take priority, no right. matter how hard you try to quote balance yeah. certain points or certain people or certain things, they're just gonna consume you at some mm -hmm. points and you just have to kinda go with it. So Yeah. I mean yeah. you can't fight it. No. And or and then but then and you can't let yourself feel guilty about it either. And that's what I struggle with a lot. Is the guilt associated <laughs> with I was just talking about that, how as women I think too often you feel guilty or bad about I should be doing this, I'm supposed to be doing right. that. I know I should stay longer. Yeah, yeah. All these. Yeah, and then and then you wasted all that brain space on like the shoulda, woulda, coulda. Yeah, yeah. And then that's exhausting too. Last night I mentioned I had taken a client out to dinner. Her husband had died in May, and it's really quite sad because there is very little family. There are no children, and so I've made an effort like once a week just to kind of visit and socialize mm, with her nice. and I knew last night she wanted me to stay on but it had been such a long day already and yeah. I wanted to get home and it's terrible even though I spent a couple of hours with her we went out to dinner we had a nice time I spent half the time driving back home feeling guilty like I really shouldn't have left Maryland I should have hung around a little bit longer and yeah yeah and did you explain to her that you we're tired? I did. I told her that, you know, it had been a long day. Plus, I do have a husband, and right. at some point, <laughs> I have to go home. <laughs> and But I still felt like, because I think, too, we just tend to be a little bit more empathetic, and yeah. I could be Maryland someday. Who knows, you know? Well, yeah. So. And then I think on the flip side of that, it makes you, it puts people's time in perspective. So on the flip side, to not complain about if a friend only comes over for an hour, like, oh, I wish you would stay longer. It's just like, thank you for coming. I appreciate the time yeah. we've spent together. Because yeah. it, it, you already feel guilty enough, so then to have somebody say something about it, or like, I wish you would stay longer, I wish you'd come over more, or whatever, then, it, you know, that just kind of like digs the dagger in deeper. Yeah, like, for yeah, the guilt I that I've too. already dug. Yes. Right. And, and in fairness to her, she was very gracious about the whole oh, yeah. thing, but I just felt that... Like you say, it it's the guilt. guilt. Uh -huh. You didn't go to a Catholic school, did you? No. Okay. <laughs> the <laughs> Catholic guilt. <laughs> I went to both a Catholic grade school and high school, and at one time I was meeting with a career psychologist. Oh, when I was thinking about becoming a financial advisor. And I think I had too many, I, I should have or I was supposed to, or 
meant to or whatever. And he, in the middle of the thing, he said, did you go to a Catholic school? Because <laughs> it's like, yeah, because that seems to be a great motivator. And <laughs> so, but anyway. That's funny. Well, and there's this, so I'm reading a book called The Art of Possibility. Have you read it? I've heard of it. Okay, you should read it. Put it on your vacation Who book wrote list. Who it? um, It's a husband and wife couple, Ben and Rosamund Zander, I think. Okay, The Art of Possibility. Yeah. Just the title is... Yeah, it's all about kind of about shifting your perspective, but it's not cheesy. And I wouldn't mm-hmm. say it's a self help book. It's mm-hmm. just about like thinking differently. And so one of them, like the first each chapter, is a different lesson or like a different trick for your for you to learn. Mm-hmm. And so the first one is to master the story you're telling yourself. So like you felt guilty about leaving early last mm-hmm. night, but. That's the story you're telling yourself, and you guys had a great time, and she probably didn't mind. She was no, probably she so made, happy yeah. about it. And so you could have left there feeling differently or told yourself a different story about the situation. Good point. In that, and it's crazy, and so the, the point of that chapter is that all the stories we tell ourselves are invented, so why not just invent a different story that like betters your narrative? I know. <laughs> And I have to tell you, when I came home last night, I said something to my husband about, I felt really bad that I left Marilyn. I should have spent some more time. And his point was, she has advanced MS. He said, she may have been glad that you were gone. She may have been tired at that point, but was too polite to say anything. But you see how you take a different spin on it? Just like that. A different story. Yeah. A different story. And now you don't feel guilty anymore. Well, after he said that, I thought, well, maybe he is right. Maybe Marilyn just wanted to call in an evening... But she was too polite that I came over to her house rather than saying, you have to to go now. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes I set those expectations up front. Like, I'm going to have to leave by 7 o'clock. And then if I say a little, like, that's what I did with dinner last night because I had things to do after dinner. So I just let them know in the beginning. Like, yeah, I can stay from 5 to 7, but then I got to go. You know, I know you've said before that your, your mom has been a bit of a role model mentor, but you have a... A finesse with people that must be more innate because I know at your age like I can tell how you're reading cues from people mm-hmm. you can tell when to and I didn't have I don't know if the word is savvy I don't know what the word is and again I've decided it must be innate for you because rarely have I seen yeah. someone that age who's able to you know read the dynamics and feel what's going on and stuff and it's definitely an art, not a science. I think, and you're you're the second person to tell me that. So I worked, really? yeah. When I worked at the retirement community in Virginia, my office was next to the sales director because she was training me mm-hmm. at the time, and so she had to overhear all my conversations mm-hmm. on the phone. And I was like being trained as the listing real estate agent, like after my marketing stuff, and so I had seventy two homes listed for sale in the indoor retirement community so most of them were listed in estates so most of them had multiple family members that were responsible oh dear yeah so 72 times at least two Mm -hmm. figure um and it's emotional because your parents have moved out of independent living or passed away so they can no longer care for themselves and um and that's what she told me she's like I, because the maintenance guys, I would have to fight with the maintenance guys to mm-hmm. get the homes like redone so we could list them for sale. And then mm-hmm. I would have to call the clients. And then sometimes I was dealing with the actual seniors themselves. And so all day long, it was just different people all day, yeah. all day. And she, one day after talking with the maintenance guys and getting them to agree to what I wanted, 
she came into my office and she was like, I have never seen anyone that can talk to people, so many different people and maintain like a certain, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, I I think it is innate. Like I can't explain how I do it and I can't, I can give advice to people about how to deal with certain situations. But Mm -hmm. other than that, like, like the hostess is at the restaurant. But if I'm at the front, also I'm older than them. Mm -hmm. So part of it just comes with a little age there, but it's weird. I don't know. Yeah. No, you either have it or you don't. Right. um, I had a brother, he he had a different skill set, but it was the same thing where he was a tremendous salesperson. Really? And he was very, very successful. But a lot of it was the same ability of being able to gauge the conversation, find out what's important to the person, gear it towards that. And and again, he said you can you can teach certain behaviors. Yeah. You can teach certain responses. Right. But when you're in the middle of something, trying to be able to assess, yeah. that's that's probably the hardest part of where do I need to go from here in this conversation. Exactly. So, well, it will serve you well in this life. <laughs> I hope so. Or get me into trouble. <laughs> so, so far it's been... Even when in my first job when I did sales, mm-hmm. I had... So I was doing, I was a district sales manager for Avon. And so I was training Avon right. sales reps. Yes, yes, yes. And I was 23. I mean, fresh out of college. And I would go and you'd have to sit in these people's homes and train them on Avon. And so when the trainer and the manager rode with me the first time, and they would just kind of hang back. They were like, could not. And I told them like, these people are telling me their life stories. Like their deepest secrets are coming out in this... 30-minute Avon meeting. And and some of the managers were like, oh, yeah, you'll get close with them, blah, blah, blah. And then when they came with me, they could not believe what these people were revealing in the meetings. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, what are you doing? How are you getting so close to them? I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm listening. Mm-hmm. I'm being nice. But other than that, I don't, <laughs> like, I don't know what to tell you. I'm not prying. Yeah. And sometimes I think I can pry like give a gentle nudge in the right direction to guide it without them even realizing that they're being directed one way or another yeah Mm -hmm. oh nice (laughs) with so we're at 30 minutes oh okay (laughs) (laughs) did you take some photos okay oh no no not i'm so bad (laughs) no no (laughs) No. <laughs> we'll take one of us standing up at the end. Me hiding behind you. That that no, me hiding behind Marshall because he's so much taller that he will pretty much cover well no, he probably won't even block me out. That's the sad thing. But anyway, yes. <laughs> yes he would. Oh yeah. we'll stand. It'll be better for us. Okay. All right. A better angle. We can go upstairs too. Yeah. It's very pretty up there. Very nice. But you had to develop some good people skills. I mean, you're like very calming presence. That oh, probably came from do you think from all your siblings, like being the youngest, or do you? No, I think it having had a career in human resources initially, in in HR, you tend to be in the employment, the interviewing part, mm-hmm. and um, I think there I had to learn how to draw people out, and um, especially where there are things that you wanted to know about them, but you didn't want them to know that you want to know about exactly. them, and so that I think I I developed it. And then um, it transferred nicely with respect to client relationships because it's the same thing. Yeah, it's their money, but a lot of it's tied into what their goals are, uh-huh. what their values are, um, oftentimes the family dynamics. And 
you know, you were talking about how some people have shared with you some very intimate things and you think, oh, oh, (laughs) I'm not quite sure if I want to know all this, but sometimes it's very helpful right in in trying to be their financial advisor to really understand them more than just this is their portfolio what their risk tolerance is and things like that it's really understanding more of them as people rather than just a client yeah so I think that helped um, with respect to the HR background transferring over to finance yeah that's a really important well and okay so what how much authority does an HR department have that is such a good question. <laughs> I've um, always wanted to know because... You know, I think it depends on the organization. Um, I I made a mistake. I didn't have any professionals in my family. I think I told you my father was a farmer. <laughs> so I was kind of out there on my own. And so the first mistake I made was I realized I didn't understand the difference between a line role like sales, manufacturing, production... Uh, mm. marketing versus a staff role mm. like HR, legal, finance, and things. So my first mistake was I went into a staff role, and that's just not my personality. But then once I realized it, I thought, well, you know, perhaps once I become more senior within HR, you'll be more in a decision-making role, you'll have more effect and stuff. And what you realize is the more senior you become, it's more senior babysitting than anything uh, else. It, yeah, it, it's just, even at the executive level, it's still the infighting and not getting along and things like that. And you just want to say, just shut up and go back and work. But you can't say those things. So, but with respect to, in fact, one company I knew, Pepsi, Pepsi-Cola, mm-hmm. tremendously, probably too strong of an HR department. And oh. whatever comments they made, that was either the kiss of death or the making of a career for someone, depending on their input. But then in other organizations, it's basically a very administrative role. So I think it kind of covers the gamut from almost uh, totalitarian to so docile that they're just basically put paper pushers. Right. Yeah, and so it really depends on the organization. Okay, because I feel like in some most of the companies I've been in, they're... HR is like the confidant, so they mm-hmm. you can go to them with problems, but then at the end of the day, they're just going to kind of stay there, yeah. and there's not a whole lot of room, yeah. especially if you had problems with the like top executive level, yeah. because they're the ones that have the final say, so then what do you do? Yeah. And I almost feel like HR has to be its own entity, like not governed by the GM, because mm-hmm. if you have a problem with the GM, then who are you supposed to go to? Right. And I think as a general rule, it's true. I think the only time it really comes to into play is if there's repeated concerns about the same person or the same behaviors. Okay. Then at that point, I think they take a much more um, aggressive role. But you're right. right. If it's a one-off kind of thing, I think a lot of times they think, well... The other person's the boss. That's the way it is. Yeah. Unless it's something like sexual harassment or oh, something right, that's, right. you know. But oftentimes, and, and that's what it is in corporate life, most people are competent. It, it's the interpersonal. It's the dynamics. Mm-hmm. It's not the, they don't know how to do this job. Right. It's, it's again, the relationship with their, unfortunately, their boss. In fact, they, I've read over and over again, the number one determinant of job satisfaction it's not how much you're paid. It's not the career position you hold. It's not your peer group. It's your sense of fairness with your boss. Hmm. That if you think your boss is treating you fairly, equitably with the others, you're okay with everything else. And that's a story you tell yourself. Yeah. However, 
whatever that story is. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting because I have a work in a situation where there's one, there's two of us women in there. Mm -hmm. And although I don't, I respect my boss, Mm -hmm. um, anyway, used to when I was the marketing director. But, and I go in and I like take what I want. So I feel like I've always been treated fairly there, even though we have very different views and values as far as like management and all that goes. Mm-hmm. I feel like as far as a work environment and me as an employee and like being valued mm-hmm. for my time and being there, that it's been fair. But then on the flip side, there's another woman in that office who actually said like, I can't believe I have to go in there and ask for a raise and it's not just going to be given to me. So she thinks she's being treated unfairly Oh, that's we her see? perspective. That's yeah. her perspective. Yeah. Whereas in it, the, the boss is the same. The only mm-hmm. difference is I went in there and asked for my raise and mm-hmm. I got it. She hasn't asked, so she hasn't gotten it. If there is one thing I can say during this podcast, the, you don't get what you deserve. Right. You get what you ask for. You get what you negotiate yes. for. And I think... You know, when I first started in corporate life, I thought, oh, I'll work hard and they'll notice oh, me. And, yeah, they'll, and they'll give out you know, like, they don't. money all the time. <laughs> right. right, they don't. But again, I think I had the advantage, having been in HR, that, for example, if I were to make an offer to someone, if they don't push back and say, can you do a little bit better, that's their starting salary. And, and, exactly. And there are some people who are just much more comfortable saying, Lynn, could you do a little bit better? Or could I have a little bit more temporary right. housing? Or more assurance on the bonus? Or a little bit more stock options? A little and more vacation a time. A little more vacation time. In fact, that's the whole millennial thing, the whole yeah. vacation yeah. time. But yeah, <laughs> that, that's what it is. You're not going to get what you deserve. And good works do not speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. You have to make yourself known. You have to ask for what it is you want or need or that you think is fair or appropriate or whatever and sometimes I think they were asking even if they didn't think it was fair but nothing ventured Why? nothing gained right yeah exactly yeah. And so what they say no yeah that's it goes back to what I said though about how you have to feel comfortable with rejection yeah. if they if you they say no and you're like fine whatever and you go on no big deal yeah then yeah. you have a choice to make yeah do I accept this as is or yeah. not yeah and most of the time you will but yeah you know that's mm-hmm. I negotiated my rent price for my apartment and I negotiate. What else did I? Oh, the sign. I don't know. So, I like it. To me, it's it's like a game now. That was my brother, the one in sales. He loved when they would push yeah. back because it, it was um, the fine art of negotiation. Right. I get some people don't like that. They shy away from it. They're uncomfortable with it. Other people thrive on it. Yeah. So. And I think you have to. I mean, at a certain point, I do think you have to do it, especially in a job, if you want to if you want to raise mm-hmm. or you want to move mm-hmm. up in the company. And also I think it shows that you value yourself if you're willing to ask for more. You're right. And people see, respect you. See, that's a perfect example where at your age, I didn't realize that. Oh. I realize it now, yeah. but at that point in time, not only is it fair and right, it's letting them know that I value my time, I value mm-hmm. my money, I value my skill set, or whatever it is I'm bringing yeah. to this party, and by asking for more, that's your way of saying, I value who I am. Right. But I didn't get that at this point. It's a lot harder for me to do that in my own business with my services than uh-huh. it was to do like in a corporate setting. You mean valuing, pricing yourself yes. appropriate? I know. So how how did you deal with that? Well, initially you're afraid to scare them off right. with the pricing, and so you tend to lowball it. 
Then after a while you think, my gosh, this is a lot yes. of work. And why I've <laughs> right. sold myself short. And after you've done that enough times, you think, this is craziness. Forget it, yeah. Forget it, yeah. And so and I just keep raising the yep. prices. Yep, and it goes back to what you said about either they'll say yes or they'll say no. Yeah. That's it. But I think that's what happens. In fact, um, Martha Stewart initially was a caterer. And I remember reading a story where she initially priced her first catering opportunity and she did the same thing. She lowballed it. She did that once and only once. Yes. And after that, she realized, and part of it too is a learning curve for right. us to how much time it takes, what are the materials, what do they cost. But she said, I did that once and never again. Yeah, and I think in the beginning, it's okay to do it once to make sure you can get a client. Maybe to, yep. you know, for yep. nothing else, prove yep. it to yourself yep. that you yep. can do it. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. And I've had, I've been lucky. I had a couple clients tell me they would have paid like double. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> I'll know that for yeah, next time. Exactly. You know, I have to ask, now do you invoice or how, how? Yeah. Okay. See, that's the one thing that I've been really fortunate about is with respect to managing assets, we charge the 1%, but it's deducted immediately oh. from their account. So I never get into this invoicing thing. Uh. And the reason why I asked you is because when I was taking a business law class, the professor was also, he had a private practice being an attorney, and I asked him, what was the hardest thing about your business? He said, getting clients to pay their bills. And I'll never forget yeah. that. And I just didn't know if that gets to be a problem at some point for professional services or... Today is the first time I've ever had an issue. Really? Yeah, actually this morning. And um, so we have a meeting scheduled. We have a monthly meeting, but this person hasn't paid their bill from last month. And so, and we're not talking like a lot of money or no, anything. No, but still. Um, but it's the principle of the matter. Yeah. Like we yeah. have our next meeting and you've not yet paid for the last mm -hmm. one. And so I had a decision to make today and I decided to go ahead with the meeting because she told me the date she'll pay it. Mm -hmm. And she's a good client, and she's mm -hmm. been with me from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but I am i don't like when people mess with my money. So mm -hmm. this will be the one and only time that I do this mm -hmm. because she's, we've worked together for a while okay. now. And so okay. I'm willing to give an exception. Um, but then the other thing too, now that I'm getting more clients that I have to be diligent about is getting half upfront. Because if I show, like for a lot of it. That's a good point. For a lot of the, like the one-on-one the -on -one meeting we have today is just an hour, so that I don't really do any prep for that, but like mm -hmm. some of the other bigger phases and projects I have, I have to do prep, and so if I show up to that meeting, I've already done hours of work, and so it's not fair, you know, it's not fair. It's not, but that's, a, again, going back to valuing your time, mm -hmm. and if it doesn't come to fruition, you've lost all that time, and you're right. never going to get it back. That's a, yeah. Yeah. So I have to get in a better, now that business is growing, I have to get in a better like habit and process for the invoicing thing. Because mm -hmm. I've really been giving people, just like trusting people, mm -hmm. which is good. I think, if, and this is another um, lesson from that book, it's to like give everybody an A and let them live up to it versus like giving them a, a grade, whatever you think. Like if you go home and you give your husband a C because he didn't do the dishes that day or whatever, mm -hmm. but just mm -hmm. like give them an A and let people live up to that potential. So it's really so I've been trying to do that with people, but then it's like, eh, but it's still my money, and now I have rent to pay. So. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know all that. Forget the A. Yeah, I just exactly. want my money. Just, just pay me. But yeah. I think I mean, and I've worked with a lot of other consultants that do that, like half up front, because you are putting in time and work. Um, but that's a that's a hard one, the invoicing. Yeah. No, I don't think I could. 
I, I'm really glad that there's never a discussion. Yeah. It's just um, we set the fee up front, and again, the lion's share, it's managed at 1%, and then it's just ongoing. It never changes. Yeah. We never have to oh, renegotiate. because. So nice. Because even when you talk to, to doctors and things, too, they'll say the same thing. That's why so many of them are no longer in private practice. Right. It's trying to either deal with the patient or deal with the insurance, insurance. company and the billing of the whole thing. That They said I was wasting way too much time with that. And so. it's exhausting. It is. I do it all on, on Mondays. That's like my business oh, day. Oh, I was going to ask how you break up the week if you do. Yeah. A lot of people do that, administrative on one day and take care of all of yep. that. So Mondays I do that because then I can work from home. Mm -hmm. most of the day which is mm -hmm. nice and then I know for like going in so I've got the whole past week that I know like what I need to invoice people for mm -hmm. and then I can schedule it out and then Tuesdays and Thursdays I'm on site with the restaurant mm -hmm. and then Wednesday and Friday is just client meetings and okay. stuff yeah you know, you made reference to that book. It's like, how does this woman find time to read? But maybe <laughs> late know. at night or something. Yeah. So. I try, actually, so my mornings are like my creative time. Mm -hmm. And so I try to, when I have my coffee in the morning, then read, even for 10 minutes. Just coffee and read. And then I do my little gratitude journal. Like, I have 30 minutes to myself in the morning is what I try to give myself before I, like, work out or check emails or get on Instagram or anything. So I try. It doesn't always happen. You don't have to ask with that gratitude journal is it narrative or did you just put down a couple bullet points this is what I'm grateful for today just a few bullet points yeah like today I was grateful for getting the keys to my new place yes that's a big deal and what else is I grateful for I think I did put podcast day on there oh <laughs> I love podcast day and I usually do three or four, mm -hmm. and then I will write a little like what I what I read. So like I read ten minutes of the art of possibility, and the lesson today was about um, opening up to your passion. And this, so the acronym was oh, there's an acronym for it, BTFI. Like your passion is BTFI beyond the fuck it. Oh. <laughs> Okay. Like, yeah. yeah, I can yeah. live with that. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I've got to remember. I'm trying to make a mental note to remember that book. Oh, yeah. I'll text you and um, remind you. Where are you going on vacation? Um, we're, going to, um, we're going to Europe, but we're going to, I think I mentioned Ooh. that other podcast that I'm trying to get to 100 countries, and I'm at yeah. 87 now. Oh, but my these gosh. Are, these are some weird places, and I don't know... This, this club, it's not just countries that you and I would think of. It's actually regions like Patagonia and things like that. But one of the separate countries is Sardinia, So though I know it's part of Italy. So that's one of them. We're going to Corsica, wow. uh, Sorrento, Rock of Gibraltar, Nice, Marseille. And Monte Carlo. Oh. I haven't been to Monte Carlo, so so that's it's it's a two week thing. Nice. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Is it a cruise or is it? It, it is. Um, it's a cruise line that my husband and I took for our honeymoon. So he has a tremendous affinity for the cruise line, <laughs> and he wants to go on it all the time. He's like Tom, only old people are on cruise. That's okay. I'll go on a See, cruise. See, Marshall. Marshall wants to go on a cruise. Depending on the cruise line, the one thing that's very nice about a cruise, it's really mindless. You it is mindless. You put your clothes away. Right. You don't have to think, well, where are we going to have dinner tonight? Yeah. Or what are we going to do? There is so much to do, so in that respect. Yeah. Um, and it can be very romantic, too. So <laughs> just something to think about. Yes. 
That's good. Well, so take this book with you. That'll give you. I will. And then your whole, your mind will shift and you'll be on vacation. You'll come back a whole different person. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to it. I haven't been on vacation for a while. So that's a nice thing too, is sometimes it's good not to treat yourself too often to too many things because after a while it just doesn't mean as much or you enjoy it as much. It's nicer when you haven't done something for a while and then when you do get a chance, it's like, Boy, this is really nice. You can really enjoy it. You can really enjoy and it. And unplug. And, yep, and relax and yeah. feel deserved of it and everything. So Good. Well, I hope you have a good time. Thank you. Thank you. I think this is a good place to end it. Okay. Yeah. That, what, how long has it been? We could keep talking. I feel like we could be here for hours. Okay. It was 48 minutes. 48 minutes? Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Perfect. Yeah.